Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 593 with Patty Azzarello. Patty demystifies. If you've ever wondered, I'm working hard, but I'm not getting promoted. What's going on? Patty shows what's going on. So you'll learn, one, the top reason most people get stuck in their careers. Two, why results don't speak for themselves. And three, how a simple email can forge powerful relationships. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP593. Now here's Patty's story. Patty Azzarello is an executive best-selling author, speaker, and CEO business advisor. She has more than 25 years of experience working in high-tech and business sectors. She has held leadership roles in general management, marketing, software, product development, and sales. She has been successful in running and transforming large and small businesses and has significant international management experience. She's the founder of Azzarello Group, which works with CEOs and leadership teams to help their businesses and people get better at what they do. She's the author of the best-selling books, Rise, Three Practical Steps to Advancing Your Career, Standing Out as a Leader, and Liking Your Life, and Move, How Decisive Leaders Execute Strategy Despite Obstacles, Setbacks, and Stalls. Big thanks to Patty for sharing her wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. And big thanks to our sponsor, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. NerdWallet.com, whom I love on these sorts of matters, gives Acorns a whopping 4.7 stars and says, quote, if you want to make the most of your spare change, there's no better place to do that than Acorns. Head to acorns.com slash awesome or download the acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today and we got a legal disclaimer here it may not be representative of all clients tier one compensation provided compensation provides an incentive to positively promote acorns view important disclosures at acorns.com awesome investing involves risk including the loss of principal please consider your objectives risk tolerance and acorns as fees before investing acorns advisors llc acorns is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are provided to clients of acorns by acorn securities llc member finra slash sipc for more information visit acorns.com now, here's Patty. Patty, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hi, Pete. It's great to be here. Well, we're going to be talking about um, how to... <laughs> I love the forced awkward segue. Uh, we're going to be talking about how to rock out in your career and to rise. But you actually have some history in an actual rock and roll band. Tell us this story first. <laughs> that is stating it a little bit generously. I started my own company 12 years ago. And I created an advisory board for my company. And as I was putting the board together, one of the people noticed that, you know, we could form a band. There was a drummer, there was a keyboard player, there was a lead guitar player, and I describe myself as a willing singer. <laughs> I'm not a great singer, but I'm a willing singer. So we got a rhythm guitar player and a bass guitar player to fill it out. And we were together for a couple years. We played a handful of gigs. It was super fun. It was just super, super fun. One of the funnest parts about uh, bands are, are their names. What name did you go you with? No, we never named the band. Oh, wow. We never named it. That makes you even cooler. My business is called Azzarello Group. We just would call it the Azzarello Group Band. It was sad. <laughs> 
Well, it looks like you you rose to power even in that context. Like your name was the one that got to be on the bat. So we've got uh, some things to learn from you. Oh, well, so you've done a whole lot of work and research in zeroing in on why some people rise or do not rise in their careers. And this is a fascinating topic. We had uh, Carter Cast, was a, a professor at Northwestern, talked about uh, five career derailers, and, and you've got uh, some insights yourself. So lay it on us. Maybe could you start us off by what's perhaps the most fascinating and surprising discovery you've made about what makes the difference between those who rise and those who don't? Well, I think the, the thing that gets most people tripped up is that working hard is not the answer. Okay. Sweet. Like just being great at delivering on your job description does not make you stand out. It helps you not get fired. But I find that people, they put their head down and they work super, super hard and they do an excellent job and they just have the sense that if the world is fair, they're going to get tapped on the shoulder and they're going to get noticed and they're going to rise. But it doesn't work that way. And it's simply because everyone else is too busy to go find you and learn about what you're doing. And you have to figure out how to advocate for yourself in a positive and productive way if you want to stand out and if you want to get the recognition necessary to get ahead. Okay, so so hardworking alone doesn't cut it. Delivering well on the, the things in your job description doesn't cut it. So it sounds like you're saying that's necessary like you need to do the thing that you were hired to do. And your book has three key sections, do better, look better, and connect better. So do better, is that about the the actual performance of your job? Yeah, so if we just take the model very, very quickly, there are three parts to it. And the thing that a lot of people miss, and I missed in my own career before I learned this, I wish I had my book in the beginning of my career, it would have made things a lot easier than having to stumble and figure it out along the way. But I think that the issue is, is that those three parts are all critical. And a lot of people just focus on the work. They only focus on the work. So do better is not just about delivering on your job description, but it's about making sure that you are delivering value and you're not judging your value by being busy. You're judging your your value by, am I really delivering things of high value? Look better is about your reputation and making sure you're not invisible. Because if you're invisible, you don't get noticed, you don't get promoted. And it's not about being political at all. It's about communicating in the right way about your work so you are sharing the value that you deliver. And then connect better is simply about needing support. The most successful people are the ones who get the most help. They're not the ones that are so brilliant all on their own that they can just soar with their own efforts. And being able to get help and ask for help and build the network and support you need is a critical skill. You know, it's funny, every once in a while when I'm on a stage and there's questions from the audience, I get the question, Patty, do you have any natural you know, tendencies or habits or traits that think helped you in your own career success? And the first thing that always comes to mind is a willingness to ask for help. One of my superpowers is just asking for help, learning from smart people, accepting help, putting that help into practice. And I couldn't have done any of the things that I did without people helping me. 
Okay, excellent. So, so that's a nice little overview there in, in terms of the three components, do better, look better, connect better. I, I want to touch upon each of them in, in some level of depth. I, I'm curious, would you say that if your goal is to rise in terms of to be promoted, to earn more money, to get a cooler, more high visibility, high impact, sexier, if you will, projects, if you, that's what you're up to, then would you say that uh, the do better, look better, connect better are of equal importance? Or, you know, if you had to, you know, do 100% allocation, uh, how would you split it up? The most important thing is to make sure that none of those are zero. Okay. It's not that you have to have a particular balance or have the same balance at any point in time. But if you think it's just all about the work and the other two things aren't important, you're going to get stuck. Well, you know, I, I like that, that view is like, make sure nothing is zero, because I see a spreadsheet in my mind's eye <laughs> in terms of, okay, I can multiply three things like zero to 100. So then I, the, the product of these three figures could be anywhere from zero to 1 million, 100 times 100 times 100. And, and sure enough, anything multiplied by zero is zero. So even if there's a master of someone who looks really awesome and connects just fantastically, if their actual ability to produce the work is at zero, then they're going to kind of hit a brick wall pretty soon in terms of like, hey, we gave you this because we love you and you know all the people, but you didn't even do it. I can't trust you anymore. So, you know, the rise concludes. So so that's handy. Make sure none are zero. And and I'm just sort of imagining if I if I multiply them out, you know, what's that look like? And maybe I'm not at zero, but I'm like at, at, at two of a hundred in terms of like connecting. So that that's really a, a bottleneck. So well, anyway, that's my mathematical brain. You said avoid zero. That's where I went. So let's dig in then. So with do better, you mentioned that it's not about being busy. It's about value. And value is... Well, hey, I'm a former strategy consultant, so so that's a word that can fall into jargon territory pretty quickly. Well, what do you mean by value, and how do we identify whether doing something is high value or low value? Well, if you think about how you end up spending your work days, there's a lot of crap <laughs> that filters in. And the first step is to identify the low-value activities, to identify the chaotic repetitive, low-value activities, and just develop this habit of saying, this is not worth this much time. If you can just develop that habit and not let yourself get swept away in a bunch of low-value activity, by definition, what you do work on is going to have more value. But beyond that, I think it's really important to look at what you're working on and give yourself some time to think about it and assess it and judge it and look at it and say, where is the value coming from? Is this helping customers? Is this creating efficiency? Is this helping us all communicate better? What are the good things of value that are happening when I complete this work? And I find when you start thinking about that, you start having the ability to add more value. Now, if you wanna go right to the heart of value, understand the P&L of your business. Understand the business model. Understand where the company makes money. Understand where the revenue comes from, where the profit comes from, where the costs are. And the more you understand that, 
you might have a job as an individual contributor in a customer service or support department, but when you start thinking about the P&L of the business and the P&L of service and support, you start to realize if I could serve customers faster and better, that's value. Like just turning the crank and doing answering the same question over and over again is doing your job. But thinking about it and saying, I've answered this question 47 times in the past two days, maybe I'll suggest getting to the root cause of it so we can avoid that question entirely and the organization spends zero time asking that question. So no matter where you are, what level you're at, what role you're in, you can always be looking at how the work is done and thinking of ways to improve it and to make it better. And that's what I mean by value. That's really great in terms of, you know, there's, I think there was like, there was a Dilbert book called uh, Always Postpone Meeting with Time-Wasting Morons. (laughs) (laughs) And and so, you know, not to be pejorative of every human being has intrinsic value, but some activities, certainly, and some meetings, certainly, just don't do much or maybe even do negative value adding. And so, one, I think just sort of having your radar up and saying, huh, okay, well, what, what, how is this good and, and useful? And then, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's like, you know what? No one's asked that question in five years and we should have stopped doing this a long time ago now that you mention it. That that can sometimes be the outcome of just having that habit of, of regularly questioning. And I'm thinking even if you're not in a business organization, the value could be, uh, for governmentally sort of serving constituents or nonprofit, like fulfilling the mission and the, the impact metrics that you're after there. So Roger, so you're thinking about that, you know, what's valuable, what's not so valuable, what is the good this results in? And, and I think often it's, it's great to, I'd love your take on this, to diplomatically ask those sorts of questions. I mean, you, you probably don't want to say, does anyone care about this crap anyway? <laughs> you know, but you do kind of want to educate yourself and get perspective on how something is valuable or not valuable. So do you have any pro tips or scripts for how we ask that question without <laughs> insulting people? Yeah, so in two directions here. So I, this happens so frequently. An executive will ask somebody to do something and the person runs off and starts doing it because they believe they have to do it best and immediately because an executive asked, therefore it's super important just because the executive asked for it. That is so not true. Executives ask for things all the time and they have no idea what they're asking for. They just have no idea of the cost of asking a question. Oh, oh intriguing. So you're, you're saying they, they know what they want, but they have no idea what the cost is. Right. So an example is when I was an executive, I asked my financial manager, what is the headcount of our organization in the hallway? And I expected him to say 1137. And he said, well, it depends. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he said, well, if you want an answer that is 90, 95% accurate, I can probably get that to you by the end of the day. But if you want it more like 97% accurate, I'll have to wait till tomorrow morning because I'll have to pull the organizations in Europe and Asia and that might take even two days. But if you need it really accurately, it'll probably take about two weeks because we'll have to pull all of the open job recs and all of the reports of people who are leaving and rationalize that. And my head was just exploding thinking, oh my God, don't do any of that. Like I literally thought you could answer my question in the moment 
And I said, do the shortest one. Do the shortest one. And so a great way to match the value of the work to the time you invest in it and make sure there's a good match there is to simply ask yourself the question, ask the executive the question before you start working, how much time and effort is this outcome worth? Is it worth an hour? Is it worth a week? Is it worth a half a day? And if you can really understand that up front, you're going to do a much better job and you're not going to be running around in circles wasting time. Yeah. Well, you know, I tell you, that's such a powerful question. I love the way you articulated that because it can vary massively and, and you have no idea. And, and just assuming it's at one level is bad news. Sometimes the answer is it is worth more than your entire annual compensation package to nail this perfectly. Right. It's like, oh. Okay, then. Well, <laughs> and then and then other times it's like, oh, I mean, please spend no more than 10 minutes doing what you can do on this. Yeah. But just because an executive asked doesn't mean it's like your life's dependent on doing it great and immediately. Okay, perfect. And, and, and so under Do Better, you make a point that we should become less busy. That sounds appealing. And we, we kind of mentioned we should become less busy just by you know, eliminating low value activities. Do you have additional uh, reasons for, for why we should become less busy? Well, so first and foremost, if you burn up all of your time on delivering just what's in your job description and you're overwhelmed by it, look better and connect better are going to be zero. All right. So first and foremost, it's important to be less busy for that. But it's also important to be less busy because you're a human being that has a life outside of work that also matters. And just grinding yourself up in your work is not my definition of success. My definition of success is that your job has to fit into your life in a way that your life works. And a big part of that is being less busy. And if you're so busy, you're not adding as much value as you could because you're just not thinking about it. So... The advice I give in terms of how to become less busy, there's a ton of advice in my book, Rise, um, which we don't have time to go through all of it here. But the one thing that I think is a must to start thinking about is what I refer to as ruthless priorities. And what I mean by ruthless priorities is to be very ruthless on choosing them and then be very ruthless about protecting them and actually getting them done. And so if you've got 25 things, 25 super duper important priorities on your task list, you're not going to get them all done. You're just not. No one ever does. <laughs> but if you try to start saying, I'm going to put these in rank order or I'm going to draw a cut line, your head starts to explode because everything seems so important. You just feel like you got to do it all. What I like to do in that case is go through each one and ask the question, not is this important? But how bad would it be if I failed at this? And I find if you ask that of your 25 things, there's going to be a couple that suddenly rise to the top. And that's one way to choose your ruthless priorities. But choosing a ruthless priority does not mean you don't do anything else. It just means that you have one or two things. You're not going to have 25 or even five ruthless priorities. You're going to have one or two and you're going to protect them. And you're going to commit to yourself, no matter what, I'm going to get that one done. No matter what else is happening in the world, I am going to get this one thing done. And I'm going to protect it. And typically, if you choose one thing, it doesn't take up 100% of your time. 
So you have the rest of your time to deal with all the flack and other stuff that you still have to do. But you wake up every morning and you say, I am going to de-risk that ruthless priority. And then you finish it. Hallelujah. People love to finish things. And then you pick the next one. And I find that by doing and focusing in a ruthless way on one important thing at a time, you can sort of cut through the chaos. And even if you stay very busy, you're getting the high value thing done. And the busyness is not getting you stuck anymore. Yeah, and I actually want to zero in on on the hallelujah portion of that, because I, I think that what's great about that ruthless prioritizing question there is... By taking the time to surface your own kind of emotional anxiety, angst associations with the to-do list, and then nailing the things that in a way have the most hidden terror (laughs) embedded within them, you really will experience a sense of release and and freedom and, and, and urgency, stress, anxiety, leaving you. And, 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 and this has happened to me many times. Like, I, I've just been surprised. Like, oh, I feel so much lighter now that that is done. And I don't think I even knew that I would feel that way. But now, with your question, I will probably more frequently be able to identify that in advance and bring that into the prioritization. Very cool. Okay, well, well, let's talk about looking better. Yeah, how do we do that? I love a comment. I got an email from a woman in the UK who said, Patty, I read your book, Rise, And I got two pay raises and a promotion. There you go. And it was like, wow, like, what did you do? Like, what what did you learn? Tell me more. So I sent her an email and she came back and she said it was the look better part. She had been kind of at a zero on look better. She was in a marketing company and she was in charge of events, getting people to events. And she was growing the event business For two years, she tirelessly worked to grow their event business, and she was in a meeting with the CEO, and the CEO looked at a spreadsheet and said, huh, I thought in general the event business, the event market was declining. I guess it's not, because our numbers look good. And her valiant efforts were invisible. He just assumed he had made a wrong assumption about the market, and their event business was growing because the market was growing. Oh, contraire. And it was such a wake-up call for her to hear from my work that you have to be an advocate for the value that your work creates. And so she immediately started communicating about all the things she learned about how to grow their event business ahead of a declining market and make it a growing business for them. And she didn't just run around bragging, look what I did, but she shared meaningful nuggets of work that other people could learn from. And suddenly she got that positive visibility and her career just took off with with more pay and promotions because she connected the dots. Yeah, boy, that is very illustrative in terms of just the assumptions people make about why, even if you're doing amazing work that's creating amazing results, You think, hey, the results speak for themselves. They don't. We were just making it like, even when the executive had that context of, oh, I thought the market was declining. Well, I guess it's not. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's excellent. So point taken. You've got to share that with people. And, And I guess, do you have some pro tips on how that happens? Yeah. So there's a chapter in the book that's titled, Be Visible But Not Annoying. 
And this is where I really want to emphasize again that I'm not talking about being political and I'm not talking about just having a good talking game without results to back it up. The results absolutely do matter. But the thing that people struggle with is, oh, I don't want to be self-promoting. I don't want to come off like I'm bragging. I don't want to be annoying. The reality is, if you have those concerns and fears, you're never going to be annoying. You don't have it in your, your DNA. So I try to get people to stop worrying about it. But we all know people who are advocating for themselves in their careers absent of results. And that is super annoying. The magic formula here is simply to ask yourself, is what I communicate of value to the people I share it with? And if the answer is yes, you're not being annoying. So you don't just run around saying, look what I did. You run around saying, look at what the company can do now. As a result of this project being completed, we are now in a different space and we can accomplish XYZ, which we couldn't do before. And it's important to tell people that because you, you finish your work and if you never share now what? Now this value is here. What can we do with it? What can we learn from it? How can we build on it? You're missing an opportunity to create even more value. So if you think about the way you communicate as creating value because you're sharing how to collect the, the winnings of the results you delivered, that's never annoying. People are like, wow, that's fantastic. I can use that. Yes. And that's a great point in terms of you know, things change all the time and, and you develop new capabilities. And, and as a result, that's going to come up from, from time to time in terms of, so let's say, oh, well, even if it's sort of like deep in the internals of the organization, they're like, oh, but yeah, we, we probably don't have the data on that. It's like, well, we, we used to not have that, but once we upgraded with the ABC, uh, we can now pull this by this, this, and that. It's like, oh, well, okay, then. Great news. Exactly. Please go get the data on that since we now can. And then they've been made aware. I like that in terms of the point is not look at me. I'm awesome. The point is it's it's valuable and, and we can do something now or, or maybe the context has shifted or, or there's a new opportunity in terms of, well, we've, we've been getting great results with, with so-and-so who's been quite pleased. So they might be the perfect partner to want to explore doing a new thing. Right. So if you don't mind, before we leave Look Better, I just want to make one more point on that, which is the importance of understanding how you are perceived. That's another thing that sometimes just goes to zero for people. They don't worry about it. They don't think about it. But it's your reputation. And if you want to get recognized, if you want to get promoted, you have to understand what your reputation is and you have to recognize how you're perceived. And the way I like to advise people on this is to think about what it would look like if you were putting your best self forward and then try to do that on purpose. Try to do that with intention. Because a lot of times we'll do something, we'll do a presentation, we'll do a negotiation, we'll deliver something and have the internal reaction of, man, I was brilliant. But you feel surprised by it. And isn't it a shame to be surprised. And it's kind of a cop-out to be surprised. Why not try to be brilliant on purpose more of the time? Why not be more intentional about showing up as your best self more of the time? And again, that's nothing about being political. It's just about committing 
to show up stronger and to be present and to give more in the work environment to give more value because you are showing up. That's another key part of look better. Well, and it's interesting how, how that can then translate into particular actions that you take. Because in some ways you might say, well, hey, it's kind of out of my control. You know, I have good days and I have bad days. Sometimes I'm in the groove. Sometimes I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. But, you know, in practice, right off the bat, you know, things like, hey, well, I could sleep. I could exercise. I could I could eat a, a healthy meal. I could think in advance of the meeting, what specific outcome am I looking for? What are are likely to be their main concerns? And how could I bring something that will address those concerns? So it, it's interesting that... You know, in a way, hey, our, our general mood does shift day to day, and you know we're not in complete control of that. In another way, there are some key sort of levers that we can all pull. Are there any kind of recurring leveraged practices you recommend in terms of being able to show up at our best more frequently? Yeah, there's a chapter in Rise, and I've got also a lot of other resources on my website on this topic of the idea of understanding your personal brand. And that's your reputation. Your personal brand is whatever everybody else says it is based on their interaction with you. And so, yes, we all have our good days and bad days and low energy and so forth. But if you can think ahead of time about what it is you would like to be known for, that can help you be purposeful about it, even if you're having a bad day. So if you would like to be known for the person that sorts through the chaos and the clutter in a complicated situation and always has a creative, clear answer, keep that switch turned on. And even if you're having a bad day, oops, this is a complicated conversation. This is time for me to use my superpower. And if you think about that ahead of time, you stand a much greater chance of doing it consistently. Okay, great. Well, and, and then how do we do that connecting better? You know, connect better, as I said earlier, one of my superpowers has been asking for help. This is another area where a lot of people go to zero, which is just networking, just keeping their professional network going. And what I say, there are two elements to networking. One is meeting new people, and the other one is keeping in touch with people you already know. And the second one is actually where all the value is. Because once you meet a new person, they become somebody you already know. And if you don't put any effort into that relationship, there was no value in making the connection in the first place. And so what I tell people and I tell introverts, and I'm also an introvert, so this was not natural for me, I had to learn it myself, is that even if you dislike the idea of meeting people so much that you never want to meet a new person ever again for the rest of your life, you should still be networking with the people you already know because that's where the value is. And that's actually a lot less scary to people who have a fear of networking. And what I like to say is let's just cross out the word networking and instead use the word be generous. That's what networking is. It's reaching out to people. It's being kind. It's saying hello. It's asking if you can help them. It's sending them interesting things. It's actually being helpful. The more of that you do, the more you are going to have an army of people who want to help you when you suddenly need help. And so you don't have to try to match it up one-on-one, -on -one, but it's more of a karmic thing that always be giving and always be giving more than you're taking. And if you're doing that, you're going to have so much capital in the bank that people are just going to be so happy to help and support you when you need something. 
And it's really that easy. Just be generous and invest some non-zero time in reaching out to people you already know and being generous. And so you mentioned a few ways in which we can be generous. I suppose there's push and pull. Like you could be generous when someone asks a question, you can either give them the shortest possible reply that finishes that email and gets it out of the inbox. <laughs> or you can really thoughtfully think, oh, you know, what is it they're trying to achieve here? It seems like this. I imagine this would probably be difficult given ABC constraints and restrictions. You know, I know someone who might be able to help with that. So then there's there's one way that you're generous when a request is is made of you. How do you recommend that we be generous when no one's asking for anything? Yeah, it's so simple. Hello. All right. I know when I get an email from somebody I haven't heard from in years and they just say, I was thinking about you and wanted to say hello. That brightens my day. Absolutely. And if those people, I have people in my life that do that regularly, maybe once a year or so. If they ever need anything from me, I'm so happy to do it because I feel like we're connected. I feel like the connection is current. It's really that easy. And I often challenge people in workshops. I say, how many meaningful network, like they say, I'm too busy for networking, which just means I don't like networking and I don't want to prioritize it. And I say, I don't believe anybody is too busy to not be able to spend 30 minutes a month doing something intentional. How many networking outreaches could you do in 30 minutes? Now, if you're using LinkedIn or Facebook, a gazillion, like, 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 couple comments, you've got a lot of hits. But if you wrote thoughtful emails, you could probably write five thoughtful emails in 30 minutes. And if you did that once a month, you would have done a thoughtful outreach to 60 people in a year, which is infinitely bigger than zero. And it's of value. And so I really challenge people to do that. And they're like, well, what do I do? And I say, just say, hi, I was thinking about that project we worked on together and that funny thing that happened. And I just wanted to say hello. And here's what I'm doing. You know, my kids just started college. No need to reply. Just thinking about you. But if you do get a minute, I'd love to hear what's up with you. Something like that. It's easy for them to read it doesn't take a lot of time. You're giving them something. And this woman said to me, she came back to another workshop of mine three or six months later. And she said, Patty, when you told me to do that, I thought that was the stupidest thing I ever heard. I just thought that was the stupidest thing I ever heard. I thought it was just a waste of my time, a waste of the other person's time to have an email with no useful, relevant content in it. But I took your dare and I did it. And she said, I have to thank you because it has been wonderful. I have gotten back so much from these simple outreaches that have just made me smile and a few useful things even happened. And it's, there you go. It's another hallelujah moment. We tend to, I think, sometimes think about networking as this big scary thing where you're supposed to go schmooze with highly important influential people and get them to do something for you in the first meeting. It's like, no. Say hello to your friends. <laughs> That's networking. And I love how there have been many friends that I've wanted and intended to reach out to. And it's almost like um, a vicious cycle in terms of, oh, it's kind of been a while. And I feel like if it's been a while, then I really got to bring it, you know, in terms of, but it could just be, I love what you says, like, hey, 
I, I was thinking about you and how we did this thing. I hope you're doing well. And just maybe like a comment, like that was really funny, or I really appreciate how you did this. It's like, this has come up again and again. I still haven't thrown away your Christmas card <laughs> because you're all so adorable and it's on my desk. Hope you're doing well. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Cool. Well, well, tell me any final thoughts you want to share before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. So just two more ideas in Connect Better that I'll just mention very quickly. One of them is what I refer to as the experience paradox. And what I mean by that is a lot of people say, Patty, I want this job, but I don't have the experience, so nobody will give me this job. And what I mean by the experience paradox is you can't get the job without the experience, but you can get the experience without the job. There you go. And so if you're thinking of career development, that's what career development is, is to set your sights on the job that you want and go learn about it, talk to people, just immerse yourself in that job that you want and look for crumbs to pick up, projects you can volunteer on to get some experience in that job. That sort of connection is really a shortcut to advancing. And then the other thing I want to mention before I leave Connect Better is... If I look at my own career, the outside of my own efforts, there was nothing more impactful for me than having mentors. And if you don't have mentors, go get one. Talk to smart people and be learning from smart people. And for me, it doesn't need to turn into some like awkward marriage proposal of will you be my mentor? Because you can just learn from smart people and they never know that they're your mentor. But if a relationship sparks and you find that you're talking to this smart person a few times, all you need to do is say something like, you know, these conversations have been so incredibly valuable for me and I've been putting the things that you say into practice and they're working and I'm so grateful for that. I'm starting to think of you as a mentor. Would it be all right maybe if I got on your calendar on a more regular basis, once a month for half an hour? And if they say yes, you've got a mentor. It's as easy as that. And do it. Advancing your career without mentors is like climbing Mount Everest without a Sherpa and a guide. Like, yeah, you could give that a try, but why on earth would you? Get the help. Uh, certainly. It's interesting how even in the mentorship example, it's the experience first and then <laughs> the role, if, if you will, of, of mentor-protege. It was like, hey, we've already been doing this for a while and, um, and we're seeing that. Very cool. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? So the first one is from Picasso, and it is that inspiration does exist, but it has to find you already working. And I just love that because if you're doing any kind of creative work, if you just sit there and wait for inspiration, it just doesn't work that way. But if you're willing to just kind of sit yourself down and start doing it badly, just start, then that's when the inspiration comes. And I found that over and over again in my life. My other favorite quote is from Marianne Rodmacher, which is about courage. And it's courage does not always roar. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. And I think particularly now where there's so much extra stress and pressure and uncertainty, we can't underestimate the value of just coping, of just trying again tomorrow. If I didn't set the world on fire today, that's fine. 
I'm going to show up again tomorrow. I think that's just so important. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? The one thing I have been a student of is success and watching successful people and learning from successful people. And the area that I'm most fascinated by is what it takes, is what the investment is behind that success. Because I think a lot of times we have a tendency to just look at success and think it was easy for the person. And I love understanding what was not easy about that. I'm fascinated by that. And I have another quote by Michelangelo, which just cracks me up, which is, if people knew how hard I worked to get my mastery, it wouldn't seem so wonderful at all. Lovely. And how about a favorite book? In terms of like business books and books that enrich your knowledge, one of my favorite, favorite books is Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath about how to communicate effectively. That was just like a lightning bolt. And that kind of changed everything for me. I love that book. Well, thank you. And how about a favorite tool? My checkbook. All right. (laughs) If you look in my tool drawer in my house, I have a hammer and I have uh, duct tape. (laughs) I have a couple of screwdrivers. And if it can't be fixed with that, I use my checkbook. And I'm not a gadgety person. I, I have probably the fewest apps on my devices of anyone that I know. But one of my roads to success was just realizing there are certain jobs I shouldn't do and just being willing to outsource and get someone else to do some of the things that are not in my wheelhouse is my favorite tool, delegating. And a favorite habit? I started about five years ago committing to exercise every single day. And for the first two years, I had a 100% record. And What was fascinating to me about that was it required much less discipline to make it not optional. Because before it's like, will I, won't I, will I do a harder workout tomorrow? I spent so much mental anguish in deciding on a given day whether or not I was going to exercise. And as soon as I made it not optional, boom, I got so much mental time back and it required so much less discipline. So I've been doing that for about five years now. I don't have a perfect record anymore, but I miss a handful of days a year, which for me is close enough. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with people? They quote it back to you frequently? You know, it kind of gets back to our theme that's been running through this conversation about not staying too busy. And it's one of the most highlighted things in my book, Rise, which is you have to find a way to deal with all of the work, not do all of the work. You can't just let stuff drop on the floor, but man, don't just do it all as it comes across the table. Deal with it all and do the stuff that matters. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I would point them to my website, which is azarellogroup.com. And I also have an online professional development program that's called my Executive Mentoring Group. And you can find that at executivementoringgroup.com or if you don't want to type so much, execmentorgroup.com. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Schedule some time to think. If you're not doing that already, schedule some time to think and use it to conquer your busyness and make sure that the look better and connect better portions of your efforts are not zero. But it all starts with scheduling time to think. Give yourself that gift. 
All right. Patty, this has been a treat. I wish you lots of luck and, and all the more rising. Thank you. It's been super fun. Boy, Patty shared so much good stuff. I really like those three segments and how you don't want any of them to be zero and <laughs> how it's easy to forget. <laughs> it's easy to forget one of them and just go all in on working harder and better uh, for the most part, for most of us, I think. But what really was most impactful for me personally was that notion of just sending at that quick note, which says, oh, hey, I was thinking about you. It's been a while. I hope you're doing well. Like very minimal content. And I think, you know, <laughs> you know I guess I'm a content creator. I want <laughs> everything to be really awesome and be awesome at my job. But I actually was moved and took Patty's recommendation and said, you know what? It doesn't need to be a big, fancy, amazing message just because a person is important to me and I haven't talked to them in a while. And I think that they deserve it. And I should be really a great to re-enter and, and break the ice again. And uh, so I, I just called my buddy and texted him. Pat had been too long and we had just a fantastic conversation, which I think was good for both of us. And uh, I'm so glad I did that and was able to get over myself. Like, oh, it's been a long time. They might think it's weird. It's sort of awkward now because it's been a while. And, oh, I got to be really clever and have an explanation for it. No, you don't. It's like, hey, man, I was thinking about you. And, and it worked great. So, again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep. Five nine three. If you haven't already, I recommend pushing subscribe. Subscribe so you catch our next episode automatically. We're chatting with Carson Tate about her four productivity styles framework, which she didn't just make up. It's based on millions of data points, which I like, and I think you will too. Hope to catch you there. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First. Check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.